Um, so excited to talk with you about one of my favorite topics, difficult conversations. I know this is not most people's favorite topic, but it's one of my favorite topics because we have difficult conversations all the time. Uh, these are just things that, that happen, that come up in life. And I subscribe to the view that your success in life is directly attributable to your willingness to have these difficult conversations. A little bit about me. I think you know me by now. Uh, if you've been to some of the others, if not, I'm a psychologist and I um, work in academia and mental health and behavioral health and homelessness services. And, and I love doing this kind of stuff and I love teaching. So for this particular training, this is for you to identify the kinds of dynamics at play in difficult work conversations. And We'll focus for the conversation here, mostly on work conversations, but if you have an example that's not a work conversation, feel free to bring it up and we can chat about that. Um, but our priorities are work conversations. Second is to identify our areas of sensitivity around these difficult conversations. So what is it that makes some conversations difficult and not others? And what do we as individuals experience that makes some conversations more difficult than others? And then finally, you'll prepare for and practice a difficult conversation. Uh, we'll see if we can get to that in this session. Uh, and if not, you'll, I'll set you up so that you could do that as soon as you finish today. All right, so communication's important. We all know that both in formal negotiations, like if you are applying for a job or negotiating a salary or negotiating a contract for your organization. And it's also important in everyday life. There are all kinds of issues that come up that require communication. And as people and humans who have our own perspectives and our own assumptions, sometimes that can get challenging. So we're gonna talk about why these conversations can some be sometimes be difficult, why people avoid them, and then how to manage them a little bit better. I should clarify, just to reset expectations here, you are probably not going to leave this presentation feeling 100% confident that any conversation that comes your way, you can ace. I still don't feel like that, and I've been doing this a long time, but what I can promise you is that you'll have more tools and you'll have some perspectives that are a little bit different, perhaps, than what you bring into this presentation so that you'll be able to feel more confident having the conversations and being able to manage them. I think if anybody got to a point where difficult conversations were no longer difficult, that would be a totally different presentation, but you can get a lot more comfortable with them. Okay, so what, what are we talking about when we say difficult conversations? Simple, anything people don't wanna talk about. <laughs> so something like asking for a raise that can feel uncomfortable, complaining to neighbors about their dog. I know you all have a lot of experience with different kinds of difficult conversations. Again, you work with other humans, so difficult conversations up. What are some difficult conversations that either you've already had or that you've been avoiding? Go ahead and write it in the chat. Just wanna get a sense of where everybody's coming from. Hygiene, John, are you talking about with, I'm assuming you're talking about with clients or potentially with coworkers, that could happen too. Yeah, changing friendships, absolutely. Staff behavior, major issue. Yes, especially if you're their boss and you have to give some feedback on their performance, that can be a very difficult conversation. Yeah, not meeting the expectations, absolutely. Ooh, SI is tough. Suicidal ideation is I, just by its nature a difficult conversation. Language barriers, yes. Bullying and raises, yeah. Okay, so I, we're seeing people are having the same kinds of, of challenges. So when people aren't doing well, so suicidal ideation, or people are having problems, not if their staff not performing to the way they need to, um, what is SU? Suicidal, I don't know what the SU means. Uh, being assertive, great. Yep, these are the kinds of things, substance use. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, uh, absolutely. So those, uh, all of these are, are major issues and difficult conversations to have. And it's important to think about what makes them difficult. Sometimes it's that we don't feel confident that we are, we know enough about the situation. Sometimes it's that 
it's just awkward talking about hygiene. That's something that is often awkward, whether it's a client or a coworker, um, someone who's who's cooking stinky food in the microwave if we're at work again. But in any case, telling someone no, absolutely. These are all really tough conversations to have. So part of what I really appreciate about difficult conversations is that there's typically three different conversations that are happening at one time. So one of them is the what happened. So here's the actual issue of what is going on that you're talking about. So this can be, I am concerned about your hygiene. I am concerned about your substance use. I'm concerned about your performance. And there's often uh, some disagreement over what happened. So, so you can say, I'm concerned about your hygiene. And the other person says, what's the problem? I don't see, we, we're not even agreeing on what happened here. There's also as part of that conversation is the other parts of not only what exactly happened. So what are we talking about that we have different perspectives on, but what should happen next? And then a third part of that is who is to blame. So who needs to, who, who created this problem and who needs to change? And we'll talk a little bit about blame going forward because that's the least helpful part of this conversation, but getting to the, the what happened and what should happen. We're gonna talk about that. The next part is the feelings part. And I see that some of you are saying, you know, I don't wanna hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want anyone to feel, feel bad. I don't wanna feel bad but each of you is going to have feelings in a conversation if it's a difficult conversation and you may or may not feel that those feelings are valid. So for example, if you say, client, I uh, understand that you're not that interested in taking medication, but I think it would really be helpful for you. And the client says, who do you think you are? I'm fine, right? So then that person's ticked off that you even said it up to them. And then you feel like, geez, this is just my job. I'm just trying to help. And then there's all kinds of feelings all over the place. And then some people may feel that their, their emotions are valid or that the other person's emotions are not valid. <laughs> so you can see where this gets extra complicated. So what happened is the first part of the conversation and what needs to, what should happen. Then there's all the feelings. And then, cause it's not complicated enough there's also a third conversation, which is often an identity conversation. And this is the part about what does this conversation say about who I am? So if we're going back to the example that Alyssia provided, a client's not open to medication, but they need it. And you say, hey, let's talk about medication. The person says, who do you think you are? You know, that's rude. And then you may start, you have feelings like I'm just trying to do my job, but maybe that goes into an identity part around Maybe I'm not good at my job. Maybe I should have just been an accountant or maybe there's, you know, I'm kind of tired of doing this. I feel unappreciated. I feel this, I feel that, right? There's all kinds of things that can come up related to your identity in this conversation. Now, it does having this conversation necessarily, regardless of how the conversation goes, it doesn't objectively mean that you're good or bad at your job depending on how you talk to this one person, but it can still bring up that identity conversation. And of course, in our clients, this is a huge issue because it brings up their identity as well around my identity as a person with a serious mental illness or my identity as a person who can't fully function well without medication or someone who has a substance use problem. And like, those are all parts of identity that are really challenging for our clients. Okay, so let's talk about the what happened. Let's start with that. Okay, so I structured this in a series of mistakes we make <laughs> because I know everybody's trying to do the right thing. So I'm thinking about what happens when we walk in and we, we make a mistake. So one of the mistakes we make is that we assume that this is a factual matter, that this is a black and white issue and that we are right. So for an example, John mentioned being nose blind. So um, you can smell your client or your coworker and you say, you think to yourself, okay, this person clearly has a hygiene problem and clearly I'm right because I can smell them and that's a problem. Might not be quite that simple. Um, it's, it's, you think you're looking at facts and that you're right, but it may not be the case. So one of the, one of the remedies for this 
is to separate the fact part and the interpretation part. And this is challenging because probably in the conversation, there's only one of you who's doing this at the time. So you can try to work this. So step one is to try to agree on the facts. Then kind of look and into what, what's the interpretation of these facts and what is important. So that's a separate issue. Another thing that you can do is even if you don't agree on the facts is be curious. Try to understand how the other person sees the situation, what the facts are, and also try to understand why they interpret the situation the way they do. And yes, what is thought is often more important than what is totally true, totally true. And then a third part that's helpful no matter what is to acknowledge both your views and their views. So I'm going to switch gears instead of using the hygiene issue, I'm going to use, let's see, asking for a race issue. So um, you can believe that you've done your research and you believe you're getting underpaid and that you've worked your tail off and you deserve a raise and that that's just the way it should be. Your boss or the person you're asking for a raise might have a different perspective, which is that, oh my gosh, I would love to give everybody a raise, but our budget just got cut by 40% and I can't afford raises right now. That may or may not be something that person, your boss can tell you, but that doesn't reflect on your value or the importance of your work. So you can both agree in this, in this example that I just gave, both parties agree you should get a raise, but there's a difference in the interpretation of what's happening and whether a raise will actually happen or can actually happen. Okay, feelings. <laughs> we love feelings. I always think of the song from the 70s, the feeling song. Okay, so feelings. Many of us on this call are clinicians and we have been trained to not express our emotions when we're talking with people at work, whether those are clients or staff. We've also sometimes been working with clinicians so that if we do express our emotions, then that brings the conversation to a halt so that we can address the emotions. <laughs> I, I have worked in clinical environments. I have seen this happen. Um, and for those of you who aren't working in direct clinical care and clinical environments, you probably have people around you that have various levels of comfort and discomfort with expressing emotions. And just to make it even more complicated, a lot of times people aren't consistent in their comfort across a range of emotions. For example, you may have, let's say a boss who's really happy when people are enthusiastic and positive and passionate about their work, but who completely shuts down when people are angry or upset or overwhelmed. So some feelings are okay and some feelings are not okay is the message that's being sent in that example. So when we're having a difficult conversation and remember there's the what happened part, there's the feelings part, there's the identity part. A lot of times we have feelings, but we don't want to express them. So part of one of the mistakes here is that if you don't express them or at least acknowledge them, then they can leak back into the conversation and they can distract us so that it's hard for us to listen and focus on the conversation. So example, let's say that uh, you're having a discussion with someone and they say that they feel like you messed up. So then your feeling could be, you could feel angry, you could feel sad, you could feel all kinds of things. Let's stick with angry. So you can feel angry, but you're trying to squish that anger down because you wanna continue with the conversation. But then that anger, if you're human, which I believe you all are, is likely going to leak back into the conversation. So you might be a little extra snippy or you might be you know, a little short with your conversation or it might come back in and the other person's gonna pick up on that. The other part is your mind can go kind of down a tangent of who does he think he is? I can't believe he said that about me. That's wrong, they shouldn't say that. And then your mind is going that way and the conversation's still over here. So then that can make it really hard for you to really focus on the conversation. So what can you do with the feelings? <sighs> ideally, ideally, 
Each of you identifies and understands your feelings and negotiates them and shares them clearly. So ideally in this situation where someone said you're wrong and they weren't very nice about it necessarily, you could say, wow, I hear you saying that I'm wrong. And that, that actually makes me angry because I don't, I don't like hearing that I'm wrong and I don't think I was wrong. So, you know, help me understand what you're feeling and let's see how we can work through that. Now, in many work environments, that is not going to be a conversation ever because people aren't that direct about feelings. The good part is that since many of you work in clinical environments, you have a little bit more likelihood of being able to have that kind of conversation. At minimum, it's helpful for you to identify your own feelings and to make a decision in the moment as to whether you want to bring them up. And yes, definitely a reflective statement. That's really helpful. That clarifies what what was said, I feel X when you Y, you know that everybody knows that one. <laughs> this is how I feel when you said this. Uh, so you could do that. And this also requires being vulnerable. Now that should have a huge asterisk after it because workplace is not always a place where we want to feel vulnerable for one, especially if we're talking to our boss or someone who has some sort of official power over us. The other situation where you may not want to be fully vulnerable is when you're with a client, because if a client, you, you're talking to a client, a client yells back at you, it's probably not the best place to say, oh, that hurts my feelings that you yelled at me. I'd rather you didn't. But there might be a way that you can say, oh, gosh, I don't like being yelled at. Can we bring the temperature down here? Can we kind of tone it down? Doesn't work with everybody for sure. But to the extent you can start with making sure you acknowledge your own feelings in the, in the conversation, then identify whether it makes sense for you to bring them up. And if so, how? That's a lot. I know that's a lot. And this is partly why conversations get so difficult because you're managing the facts and the interpretation and what needs to change. That's kind of the verbal part. And then all of this feelings on both sides is happening underneath it gets complicated. I'm with you on that. So sometimes another challenge related to feelings is that sometimes we translate what we're feeling, like I'm angry, into a judgment or an attribution about the other person. So this person told me that I did something wrong. I feel angry. That person is a jerk for telling me what I did wrong. They shouldn't have said it that way. They shouldn't have said what they said. I don't agree with them, all these other things. And so how am I supposed to continue this conversation with somebody who's a real jerk? You see how that kind of went off the rails pretty fast there? This happens. Again, it's hard to keep those feelings in check during very difficult conversations. And I'm trying to pick conversations that are maybe a moderate level of difficulty here, not stuff that's really, really hard. We'll get into harder ones a little bit further on. So if, we're if we find that we're translating our feelings into judgments, first thing you have to do is recognize what you're feeling. I'm having a feeling, I'm feeling angry. That right there is a good practice and a good step one. Then you can figure out what should I, how, sh how should I, or would it make sense for me to address my feelings in this conversation with the other person? And I think thinking through that part, which was on the previous slide can help us understand whether we're translating our feelings into attributions about the other person as well. So one way to manage this is previous slide, acknowledge your feelings. <laughs> so for this one, so they don't get out of control and you start going way off into a place you didn't wanna to go to, understand your feelings, you don't have to change them. You don't have to tone it down. You don't have to tell the other person, you don't have to do anything at this point other than just kind of pause time for a minute, a timeout in your head, I'm feeling angry. It's okay that I feel angry. That doesn't mean the other person's a jerk. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean I shouldn't be in this job. It just means, wow, I'm noticing I feel angry. And for anyone who does meditation, you can notice it and try to let it go. You might not be able to let it go in the moment. And all of this is very difficult hence difficult conversations, but you can try to understand what you're feeling without shifting it. You can also accept your feeling. It doesn't have to be rational. 
So if someone says, um, I'll, I'll play with the same example here. If someone says, you know, I really like what you did on this report, but there's an error here. And I think it, if you could correct this error, that might trigger you to, set, to think, well, I'm angry at this person. I don't think that's an error. They always have to find something wrong with me. They don't really like me. They're a jerk. They shouldn't be my boss. They're incompetent or whatever, right? You can go way down, way down the rabbit hole on this one. Your anger on this doesn't have to be rational. Whatever your feelings are, they don't have to be rational. It's okay to feel all this crazy stuff in your head. Doesn't mean you have to say it. In fact, probably don't say it if it's super crazy in your head. But if you have those feelings, it's okay. And I know you do this with your clients, right? Feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. You can just have your, have your feelings, whatever they are. So acknowledge that they're part of the situation. You don't have to pretend they don't exist. You don't have to try to squish them down. You don't have to try to move them out. You can say, okay, I'm having feelings about this. This is one of those difficult conversations <laughs> that Jennifer was telling us about. That's how you know it's difficult. It's hard. So you got this. You could totally do this. When you can, if you're in that kind of a situation, you can express your feelings and acknowledge the other person's feelings. So that may sound something like this. Thanks for your feedback on the report. I worked really hard on it and I appreciate you saying really good things about it. I, this may not even make sense, but I feel like you're picking on me with this one thing. You know, you could try to add a little humor to it maybe. Is this really a problem? Can you help me understand what you're seeing? You know, and a lot of times if you can translate it into humor or lightheartedness with someone that you know who's going to get that, that could be a way to, to manage that. You could also say, um, maybe after you address the issue of the one thing that was wrong with it, say, you know, I was thinking about this conversation and I just wanted to come back to you. It feels like to me that whenever I give you something, I know this might not make sense, which is your way of saying it might not be a rational feeling, but it kind of feels like you, you always find at least one thing wrong with it. Is that you know, is that something you think I should work on or is there something else going on here? Most reasonable, rational people will think about that and give some perspective. So I do that a lot. I know with my staff, I always find something to edit and I can see how that would probably make them feel like, dang it, I can't get anything perfect here. I can never have it all right. But that's not about them. It's about me. It's about my pathological need to edit everything. <laughs> and if anyone brought that up to me, that's what I would say. And anyone that I work with who's on here, that's what it's about. My pathological need to edit. So that's a different conversation. And it's not reflective on how amazing the other person is. It's reflective on, I just feel like I always have to put my mark on everything. And that has nothing to do with you. So you might uncover this kind of a situation. Now, all that said, I know this is not feasible in every conversation. I have had bosses too, who are not open to having feelings conversations, even if they are healthcare people or behavioral health professionals, not everybody's open to having these kinds of conversations. That's okay. The steps to follow though with the feelings conversation are one, identify what your feelings are and then two, try to understand and acknowledge them and accept them. And then the third step would be try to figure out how to express whatever you think would be appropriate in that moment. And I would say on the other side of that, you're having a conversation and so the other person is clearly having feelings. Your response to that can be to get upset that they're having feelings because we're just talking about some facts here. Why would they even have feelings, right? That's probably not very helpful. Or you can turn this same kind of feelings part of the conversation over to them and say, it seems like you have strong feelings about this. Would you like to share with that what you're feeling? Can we walk through this? And then work with them. So what you're doing is saying, it's okay that you're having feelings. Would you like to talk about it? And then either they do or they don't. So the last piece of the feelings part of the conversation is related to whether they're rational or not of not evaluating them. So you don't have to evaluate your feelings right now. And you don't have to ever evaluate your feelings or 
determine whether it's rational or not, or perseverate on the conversation or ruminate about it. You don't have to. If you're like me though, sometimes you do with difficult conversations that maybe didn't go so well, or you feel like they didn't go so well. You're thinking, okay, where did that go off the rails? And what was I doing? And what was I feeling? And what was he or she uh, likely to feel? And what was going on? You can do that. That's okay. But I think the, my recommendation would be evaluate how you did in the conversation only to the extent that it's helpful. And when it starts turning into rumination or perseverance, then stop because it's no longer helpful. <laughs> so usually for most people that is, let me spend a few minutes, whether it's on my drive home or getting a cup of coffee or whatever, I'm going to spend a few minutes thinking about this conversation and I'm going to decide in this conversation, what did I do well? What did I not do well? What could I have done differently next time? And what kind of follow-up, if any, do I need to do with the person with whom I was having this conversation? So is there a way where I need to go back to this person and do this? Um, and yes, thank you for Emily. 3 a.m. is not the time <laughs> if you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night and ruminating about this conversation. Um, that's, that's not good for you. <laughs> go back to sleep and think about it in the morning. But again, thinking through kind of how it went. And the feelings part is often the hardest, especially when we're passionate. And most of you are in your jobs because you're passionate about it, because you eagerly want to help people get their lives together and be happier and be, be more satisfied. So that makes sense that passionate people are going to have feelings. So that's okay. But try to use them for use, use your evaluation component as a way to help you rather than ruminating and helping you feel worse. Okay. So the third part, the identity part, didn't forget that. That's also an important part where these conversations can call into question all of these different pieces of who you are. And I'll put this out to the group for the chat. Has anyone ever had this experience? You have a conversation and then by the end of it, or even in the middle of it, you start wondering, like, am I even good at my job? <laughs> am I, you know, some personal, personal discussions or difficult conversations with people, am I even worthy of being loved? Yeah, some of you are experiencing this. Am I good at what I do? Should I even be here? Am I even contributing anything? Oof, that's tough. That is tough stuff to have your whole identity called into question from one conversation. Now, most likely it's not just the one conversation, but this is something that is kind of lurking underneath. And this would be underneath the facts, underneath the feelings is this big identity part here. That's also really important to consider. So part of the challenge with this, and this would be for those of you with clinical skills, thinking back to your clinical expertise here, this all or nothing thinking, I'm having this conversation, my boss is angry at me, therefore I must be a failure at my job. That is all or nothing thinking. <laughs> that can make us more vulnerable to having these kind of identity crises and you know, either I'm wonderful or I'm terrible, I'm good or I'm bad, and that's not really helpful. And someone mentioned, Ingrid mentioned DBT so in the chat. So yeah, this can get down to that place. So if you are having these concerns, try to identify that all or nothing thinking. And my hunch is that if any of you are indeed terrible at your job, which is unlikely, but if that is the case, you probably have received feedback about that. That's very specific, but again, I don't think that's likely because if you were indeed terrible at your job, you might not actually be in the job anymore. Um, and I'm pretty sure you're not terrible people as well. So ideally these are this all or nothing thinking, you can identify it pretty quickly to say, if your brain starts going into, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, I'm a bad person, I'm terrible at my job. You can identify that really quickly. Like as soon as you have the thought, the red flag goes up and says, uh-uh, this is all or nothing thinking. And yes, John, I am challenging your cognitive distortions. So this can send the red flag up and, and uh, help you identify these thoughts in a different way. So managing this part of the identity, the identity part of the conversation 
requires helping you understand how you do this and what works. So if you have conversations that are difficult and you, you typically or frequently end up feeling, I must not be good at my job or I'm a terrible person, then those are, something's going on there. That's a pattern for you that would be helpful to work through. Now you can work through that on your own by thinking through it. Maybe you can journal. There's all kinds of ways to do that. You can work through it with a therapist. You can work through it with a friend. What I do not recommend is working through it with your boss on a one-to-one like constant conversation so that every difficult, every conversation becomes difficult and every conversation that you have at work becomes a reflection of your identity. That is not helpful. <laughs> That's not helpful for you. It's not helpful for your job. It's not helpful for your clients. And it's definitely not helpful for your boss. So learning what your kind of trigger points are, what your cognitive distortions are, those are really helpful to managing that identity. And if if you said yes, or all the time, or definitely that those are things that you experience where after a difficult conversation, you call into question your own competence, then pay attention and think about what's happening in this conversation. And this is another place where you can go back and kind of evaluate how did the conversation go and what was I thinking and feeling and so on. Again, not at 3 a.m., good call on that one, but sometime later, when you've kind of calmed down and, and have uh, some, some, I shouldn't say calm down, when, when you're out of the midst of the conversation and have a little bit of distance from it. Okay, so some more parts to, that might be helpful for addressing the identity part of the conversation. I know many of you are from Los Angeles and you've probably done a bit or been to like stand up or those kinds of things. The and part is really important. You just want to build on the and part. That was my reference to try to relate to our Los Angelinos in the in the audience here. So adopting an and stance can be really helpful. That helps you reject the all or nothing thinking. So it may be that again, basic CBT stuff here, cognitive behavioral therapy stuff here. You can have messed up in this situation, you made an error and you're still a good employee. Or I'd said something that was hurtful to someone and I'm still a good person. Those things are okay. And that's really expanding your view of yourself that we're all complex. We have all kinds of different parts of us and sometimes those characteristics are contradictory and it's an active choice to reject it's an active choice to reject that all or nothing thinking. So you're not going down, I call it the rabbit hole, going down the rabbit hole of um, getting kind of lost in your identity when you are really just trying to resolve some sort of issue at work or at home. Notice these are these get harder <laughs> as we're going along in this conversation. Being able to do these things gets more and more challenging. So if you're looking at these and saying like, what, how am I supposed to do that? It's, it's not just in your head, it is definitely getting harder. So uh, another thing you could do is admit to your own mistakes. That is something that I continually work on. Thankfully, I don't make many mistakes. Ha ha ha, that's evidence of my having trouble admitting to my own mistakes. But admitting when we make a mistake, um, that we may have mixed intentions. We may love our job and hate this little part of it. We care for our clients and yet sometimes we as humans get frustrated or snippy, or we have bad days, those things all happen. And to acknowledge what our contributions to the problem are so that we can move that forward. And if you're in conversations where your focus is on trying to make the other person wrong, then that's a good sign. That should raise a little red flag in your head that you probably are contributing to this problem in some way. And if you don't know what that is, you could ask the other person, how do you feel that I'm contributing to this problem? And I'm sure they will tell you. <laughs> I have no doubt they will let you know what they think your problem is. Um, so there's uh, some options there to be able to kind of an all, to move forward with this identity part of the conversation that is, is something that goes well beyond a difficult conversation. And I know you know that your clinicians, you know how this works. But once that's more solid and once you work on that, the difficult conversations will become somewhat easier. 
They're not going to be easy necessarily, but they'll be a little easier because you won't feel like your identity is getting batted back and forth with every difficult conversation you have. It'll also give you more confidence to be able to address the difficult conversations because you don't have to worry that you're going to walk away from this conversation feeling like you're a terrible person. I wouldn't want to have that kind of conversation if I felt like that's how I was going to walk away feeling. That's not good. So there's a question in the comments about what if the other party has trouble managing responses to identity challenges? That is a great question. And I think how you address that, everything depends. It depends on all kinds of things. So one is, is this an urgent situation or a not urgent situation? If it's an urgent situation, you probably don't have time to address this and you'll need to resolve the issue, take care of the, the, the crisis, do what needs to be done. Then you can try to come back to it. The other part is what is your role with this person? If it is your boss who is having some sort of problem with their identity, that's especially awkward. And it might not make sense for you to talk to your boss about like, oh gosh, it seems like you feel like you're a bad person when we have this conversation. That's super awkward. Not sure I would go down that road um, with a boss. If you are their supervisor, that gives you a little more leeway in how to do this. And of course, it also depends on the setting. If you're out working with a police officer on the street, that would be you know, related to a client. That's a very different situation than when you're working with your coworker. I think what you can do is try to do what you do as clinicians, where you can pull this helpful part of your clinical experience into the conversation and say, and think to yourself, I hear this person saying something, but I think what they're feeling is something else. And I think there's something else going on under there. And again, you can kind of only do this when you have time and space. I know we talked about making prioritization and, and making decisions. When you have the time and space, if someone's saying, you know, I feel like you always, uh, you always blame me for things that go wrong. So maybe that's what the person says. And you're thinking, aha, uh -huh, I think that's an identity thing. I think there's something else going on. You can try to respond to what you think they're what, what you think they're feeling underneath the statement. So rather than addressing, I do not always think that you're doing something wrong. Maybe you can address address what's underneath that, like a like the clinicians you are, and say, it seems like you feel like you're 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 wrong all the time, or it feels like it's. Are you, am I understanding correctly? It sounds like you're saying you feel like I'm picking on you or that it's not fair. You know, you're kind of digging a little bit deeper. And again, this is, this is careful. This is like red flags around this one. As far as when, when you're their boss, it may or may not be appropriate to delve into this level. You know, you don't want to do therapy with your staff. <laughs> that is not appropriate. And you also don't want to do therapy with your coworkers or with your boss. Like those are not, that's not appropriate. However, with your good sense of boundaries, it may make sense to kind of push a little bit and see if you can um, help them characterize what's going on with them so that you can work together to resolve the problem. That was a very long answer to a very <laughs> clear question. I hope that helps, Ingrid. Um, finally, the last part of the identity part of the conversation is around not controlling their reactions. So I have had an experience with someone that I worked with where I was hot under the collar and I went in and said, hey, this is a big issue. And I came in hot. I was intense. And the person listened to what I had to say and said, OK. And then the next time the person we talked, you know, the, the, the issue, the crisis was gone. And the person said, you know, when you come in and, and talk to me hot like that, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. So don't talk to me like that. I can't. And I thought, that's so interesting. You know, okay, noted, this person does not like it when I'm, you know, turn my intensity up to, to nine. Um, but that's also not my problem. I mean, it's not my issue that they don't like my intensity. And that's really unfortunate that they're saying, they're, I mean, it's fortunate that they're giving me a boundary that says, when you, when you speak to me like this, then I cannot even, I can't even, I can have no, no conversation with you. Okay. That's good to know. On the other hand, 
that's that's really unfortunate because I like to feel that when I'm passionate about something and I get animated, that that's okay to do with someone that I work with. But this person's telling me it's not so okay. But the part uh, that I'm addressing here is I can't control this person's reactions. If what they're saying is, if you come in at a level of intensity that's more than I'm comfortable with, I'm going to shut down. That's what this person's saying to me. Okay, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. I think that's dumb or whatever, right? I can have whatever feelings I think about it, but I can't control that they're going to shut down. So I have to either take a break or prepare for it or otherwise manage that conversation in a way that I wouldn't have to manage with someone else. I have other colleagues who come into my office and say, would you believe blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's crazy. And then we can operate at that high level of intensity and it's no problem at all. But with this one person, I have to go down here or not talk to them. And those are my choices for that, but I can't control how they react. Does that make sense? We don't have to like it, <laughs> but we can't control it. And of course there's the take a break part. Um, I think taking a break from heated conversations is underused in the workplace because we often view that as um, that's something you do in personal relationships, but you shouldn't have to do that in work. But that gets back to these assumptions around you shouldn't have to, you know, have you shouldn't have feelings about conversations at work and you shouldn't let work affect your identity or your sense of yourself. You know, all those it's not really helpful. Um, so if you need to take a break, that's okay. And you can, I would say most of the time that's okay. Obviously crisis, not generally okay. But for many times, what you can say is, you know what, I am thinking about what we talked about and I want to make sure that I am able to fully work with you to resolve these issues. If you're okay with it, I would really like to take a few minutes to just go for a walk and get things, you know, clear, clear my head. I'd like to be able to come back and be able to fully participate with you in this. Or you could say, we've talked about a lot today and I, my hunch is we're not going to be able to resolve all of this today. I'd like to take some time and think about all this. And can we come back next week at our regular meeting or can we set up another time in a couple of days to come back to this? I think the perspective would be really helpful for me. Those are kind of different ways to say that where it's not just, you know, storming out or whatever, because that's, that's probably not going to be helpful. Okay. So we, this has been an intense conversation. So one of the other parts of a difficult conversation are, is do you even need to have the difficult conversation? Do you have it or do you just let it go? Cause some, you can choose to let it go. I mean, you can all leave this presentation armed for bear and to go out and say, all right, I am ready to have the next difficult conversation. You can do that. That's great. And I also want you to make, want to make sure you have some discernment about whether you even need to have it. So here's some considerations with whether you should have the difficult conversation. So one of them is, is this an issue with one person or with many people? And the way you manage a difficult conversation with one person versus with many people is very different. Uh, it doesn't mean that if it's an issue with many people that you have to have it in a group context. Uh, but there are some different ways you can manage it. If it's with one person and you don't really interact with them that much, or it doesn't really bother you that much, or maybe it really ticks you off a lot, but it's not really a big central part, you might be able to let it go. But if it's kind of a big systemic thing, you might want to be more likely to have the conversation and think carefully about how you want to move it. You can uh, consider mocking up a contribution map. And basically this is just saying, let me clarify what the issue is. Remember at the beginning, what are the facts? So what are the facts from my perspective? What do I think needs to happen? And then how, what are these different people or this one person contributing to this issue? So for example, if um, let's see, you need to process paperwork and the people who give you the paperwork always give it to you at the last minute and then you're late, right? So this is a good process issue where, okay, here's the situation. I always get it with only 10 minutes to process, but I really need three hours to process. And it would be really helpful if I got it all the day before, 
So uh, at the same time, sometimes they have questions for me that I don't answer in a timely way. So let's work on that. Like, even if you don't think you're at fault, trying to find something you could do to make the, the situation better is helpful. And it's definitely a good olive branch in working with the other person. But sometimes when you sketch it out, that could be helpful. You could, just in the interest of being complete here, you could try to change the other person. I don't know if you have a lot of success in that. You probably do because you're a therapist and, and part of that's, that's a big part of what you do. I do not tend to have a lot of success in getting my coworkers or bosses or even staff to change substantially. Um, I can help them with procedures. I can help them with processes. I can help them with expectations, but making large changes like in someone's overall approach or their level of ambition or their level of attention to detail those are, those are hard, but you could try. If you figure it out, let me know. I would love to know how to do that. Um, I can do small changes over time. Uh, instead of having a difficult conversation, you could learn their story. So back in the olden days when we could meet each other in person, let's just go to coffee. You know, let's, let's talk. Um, how long have you worked here? What do you do here? What's, what's your story? What's happening? What's important to you? What do you wanna be doing? What do you think is next for you? Just try to meet them on a person-to-person -person basis. They would probably be surprised and not really sure what to do if you're just being nice to them, but that's part of the fun too. Like just learn who they are. And then it's harder to be really angry at somebody when you hear their story and you know what's going on. Another thing you could do is potentially express your own story. I don't mean saying like, I don't like that you corrected this part on my report that I really don't think is wrong, but I grew up on a farm and, you know, no, that's too much. But I think expressing what's important to you. We talked uh, a couple sessions ago, for those of you who are at the first session about your vision and your mission and what's important to you. And maybe talking about things like that could be really helpful and making those broad statements around you know, my background has been in psychology or social work or family therapy. And I worked with kids in jails for years, or I worked with this. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting to be working in this environment. And I think it's really important that people get as many opportunities as they can to turn their life around or make healthy decisions or whatever, right? Set, set, telling them a little bit more about who you are without telling them all your life story could be helpful in a way to, again, you're meeting them as a person and then maybe the difficult conversation will work its way out. If you don't have to have it right now, it might be okay to delay. All right, so I've just provided you a ton of stuff. And this is, you know, every time I teach this, I think of a conversation that I had where I could have done something differently. So if you're thinking that, you are definitely not alone. I'm still thinking that. And I give this presentation a lot and it's so important. I think uh, a big part of being willing to have difficult conversations and engaging them is this, this issue of courage, of being able to say, I'm willing to go into the muck with someone else and wallow around in it a little bit. Let's figure it out. Let's get a little messy. Let's, let's let ourselves be seen. And I know most of you are, are quite comfortable with that because that's a lot of what you do with clients. There is, I'm sure, some benefit and certainly some vulnerability to doing that with other people with whom you have difficult conversations. So uh, comments in the chat around um, what's a conversation you've been putting off or what, what's one thing you learned from today? How could some of this, like what's your takeaway from today? Ooh, I love it. It tries to consider what that their, your relationship with that person is going to be impacted, whether or not you have the conversation. Absolutely. Not having the conversation is making a choice too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great comment. Others, is there a conversation you've been putting off? Is there something that you, you're taking away from this session? Yeah, trying to see the world through the other person's eyes. Isn't that hard? <laughs> we the hardest part is when we think we know what they're thinking and and we are totally wrong <laughs> that helps keep us humble that is uh that is one of the mistakes i make frequently yeah and, and you often do have to slow it down and making these building the relationships with people 
I, I know I'm repeating that a lot throughout all of these presentations, building the relationships with people are really important to being able to work through the issues. Because the more you can see them as true as, as individuals, as fellow humans who are trying to get through everything too, who are trying to do the right thing, who are good people, that makes it a lot easier to find common ground with the difficult conversations. Yes, providing opinions without feeling guilty for being honest, absolutely. And I love the word diplomacy because you can say, you, sometimes people err on the side of being really honest. And the trick question is, so do I look good in this outfit? And you don't necessarily wanna say, no, you don't, you look terrible or whatever. That's, that would be fully honest but also not very diplomatic. So there might be ways that you can be honest and diplomatic that you don't need to feel guilty for giving that feedback. And then as a reminder on that issue, which again, I'm sure you know this, but because someone reacts poorly to what you said, doesn't mean you shouldn't have said it. It doesn't mean you said the wrong thing. You could have said the wrong thing. That's not, it's possible, but just they're reacting poorly doesn't mean you shouldn't have said it. And I think as, as someone who's very often a truth teller in organizations, and I find that a lot of people don't like truth tellers, um, that uh, puts me in an interesting place sometimes where I'm stuck with, you know, my role here is to be a truth teller and yet you are sending me very clear messages that you do not want to hear the truth. And I know many of you have these kinds of situations as well. And I do not have absolute, um, I don't have a silver bullet answer. There's not one single way to do this. This is part of our work as humans who work with other humans to try to figure these things out. Great comment, understanding it might change the relationship. Absolutely. Um, great about the identity and, and not getting too wrapped up in the difficult conversations and making conclusions about your identity. And uh, yeah, managing your own counter-transference. You went there, Rowena. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Any questions from anyone on anything that we talked about here? And you should have the slides. I think Jackie sent them out earlier. So you should have those. Feel free to refer to them. And just to be fully honest and diplomatic here, I sometimes go back to these slides when I know I have a diplomatic or a difficult conversation coming up because I want to be diplomatic and I think through kind of what's happening. You can also do that when you, when you anticipate a difficult conversation, you can kind of map out some of these pieces. What are the facts or the facts in quotes as I think I see them? What do I want to happen? What might the other person be thinking? What am I likely to feel? How are they likely to react? And what are any potential threats to my identity that might get me sidelined while we're in the middle of this conversation? You can just take some notes. You don't have to write a paper on it, but just take some notes so you can prepare better for the conversation. Thanks so much for coming. Good luck with your difficult conversations. May they be less difficult.